one in Grace Church, there isn't much more to explain, but uh, <laughs> yes, keep your hands up if you'd like a, a Bible. Reading is Matthew 3. Matthew 3, uh, page 967 in the Church Bibles. Uh, And we're going to read from verse 13 to verse 17. So Matthew 3, starting at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee... To the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And the voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Good morning, everyone, again. Uh, Why don't we pray as we uh, look at this uh, passage together, these four verses. Father God, we thank you so much uh, that we can be here this morning, Lord, as a church family. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And now as we turn to these uh, short verses in Matthew's Gospel, Father, we pray that you would help us to see Jesus more clearly. We pray, Lord, that you would challenge our hearts, encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we begin this morning, I want you to cast your minds back to the past. Okay? So think back to the past a really, really long time ago. In fact, 29 days ago. 29 days ago today, if I've got my sums right, it was Christmas Day. Only 29 days ago. And yet, I don't know about you, but that seems like a very long time ago. Because we are now into 2022, we are now into new routines, or back to old routines, life carries on, and uh, Christmas seems like a long time ago. But what did we do at Christmas? We celebrated the birth of Jesus. We had our extra services, we had our Christmas festivities, lots and lots was going on only 29 days ago. And I wondered this morning where your thoughts are towards Jesus. Are your thoughts still celebrating the birth of Jesus, excited about who he is and what he came to do? Are you still captivated when you think about Jesus and sing about him, maybe in worship songs, as we did this morning? Well, one of my favourite carols, which I've been keeping to myself, is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I love that song. Uh, The words are up behind me. I love this song because, to me, The gospel comes alive in that carol. Those words make me emotional. They make my heart leap for joy when I think about who Jesus is and everything he's done for us. These words, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. 
Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Now I stop there because this passage we're looking at this morning in Matthew's Gospel will help us understand what that means. Hail the Son of Righteousness. I don't know about you, but I normally just sing that. Yeah. But I don't actually think, what does that mean? But as I was doing my prep for this passage this morning, I thought, wow, this answers that question. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. The words are wonderful. This is the best carol. If you're not convinced of that, meet me for a coffee afterwards and I can persuade you. But from the verses I just read out, what does it mean that Jesus is the son of righteousness? Well, the verse points us to something that's unique in Jesus alone. In order to see this, we're going to go on a little journey back to Nazareth in the time of Jesus. So if I can ask Emily to put the next slide on, that is what Nazareth looks like today. It is in the northern part of Israel, and it's the largest Arab, or the Arab capital city of Israel. That's what it's known as, the Arab capital city of Israel. The population is about 75,000 people, and the main industry there, uh, for those people out there interested in economics, is software development. Now that is a long way, isn't it, from the Jesus of the Bible that we know. In fact, in the first century AD, when Jesus lived, Nazareth was just a small farming village. Uh, Emily, could you put the next one on, please? All right, no, sorry, I've, that's fine. <laughs> you can stay there, you can stay there. Oh, I, took a sl- I took a slide out. Uh, because there's no photograph of what Nazareth used to look like, there's artist's impressions. But it was a small farming village, really uh, of no significance at all. Population, about 100 people. Totally different to what we see today. And yet, although it was a small village, someone amazing lived there, which we know is Jesus. But even the disciples, when they found that Jesus, uh, on hearing that Jesus the Messiah had been found in Nazareth, one of them said this in John's Gospel. Nazareth? What good can come from there? On the staff team, I'm the only one who lives in Sutton. And I often hear this phrase, Sutton? What good can come from Sutton? I'll let you work out who says that. In the Gospels, we learn that Jesus lived with his mother and his father in Nazareth for the first 30 years of his life. And really, we don't know much about what he did in those 30 years. Uh, For those of you who know your Bible, there's one incident when he was 12 years old in the temple uh, when his parents had to go and look for him. But apart from that, we know very little. We can assume he worked as a carpenter like his father. Um, And we know a little bit about his character. He grew up in wisdom and he grew strong in favour of God and people from Luke's Gospel. But that's where it finishes about Jesus' life. Until, like a movie, in this passage, we go go forward in in, uh, time, uh, weeks and years pass, and we're transported to the future. Now I want you to picture the scene. It's a busy time. Crowds of people from every town and village are making their way to the River Jordan. They've heard some amazing news. The amazing news that a man called John has appeared and is baptising people in the River Jordan. This is a chance for everyone to repent of their sins and turn back to God. This is amazing news, a chance to have a restored relationship with the Creator God. And on that day, Jesus, who'd lived in this tiny little village, obscure, poor reputation, a backwater village in the region of Galilee, left his home and walked south to Bethany 
to the River Jordan to join other people making their way to see John. Uh, that's the slide behind me. And you can see his journey there from Nazareth down to Bethany, we're told in John's Gospel, uh, where he met John and was baptised. Now, to anyone observing that day, Jesus would have looked like any other person. Just another man walking in line, uh, keen to get his sins forgiven and baptised. Jesus was like everyone else. He would join the long queues until he got down to the water. Uh, Emily, you can put the next slide on. That's the River Jordan. That's what it would have looked like. No fanfare, nothing special. Uh, in fact, that one looks quite silty, doesn't it? Covered in mud uh, with the reeds at the side. So nothing special about this river. And yet, and yet, the events that we read in this passage are absolutely amazing. The significance in these four verses is uh, astronomical. For Jesus, God's chosen Messiah, God's chosen saviour and king, we're going to witness supernatural power and authority uh, in these verses. So we know the baptism of Jesus was a highly important event. How do we know that? Not only from this description, but if we looked at the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the baptism is at the start of Jesus' ministry in every one of those Gospels. And amazingly, we also, in these verses here, this event, witness the power of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all present, in the same place, acting together. So, I want to focus on two points in this sermon this morning. My first point is the humble king. So as Jesus made his way down to the river, we encounter this extraordinary scene. Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, the saviour of the world, the one to whom all prophecies of the Old Testament are fulfilled in, the one who is infinitely greater than John. He's coming down to the river. It's almost going to be his coronation. And what does he do? His first act, he gets baptised. I've been watching a BBC documentary on the Vikings. Uh, I don't know if anyone's seen that, but I'm amazed at... uh, I I love looking at... uh, uh, societies in the past, kind of how they used to live, how they used to interact with each other. And the Vikings is really fascinating. You know, you learn it in school, but you don't really think about it until you get older. Well, I don't. And then uh, you start learning about them. And something that sticks out in that society to me is the way that these kings uh, come to rule. There's a huge battle. Everyone's fighting, uh, and, and someone becomes king. They bring a fragile peace with them. They declare, we're having a new kingdom. Only to a few years later, someone else rises up. I'm going to take over this land. Another battle ensues. A fragile peace. Someone else is put on the throne. Great. Someone else rises up. And so it goes on and on and on. Uh, And we notice that no kingdom on earth is uh, stable. No kingdom on earth is peaceful. But Jesus isn't like these rulers. Jesus' first act as the coming king is not to seize power or build an earthly kingdom. The first thing in this passage... He goes into the river and he gets baptised, like everyone else. Jesus behaves in an ordinary way. His purpose is to identify with ordinary, repentant people. Ordinary people like you and me. Sinners like you and me. Jesus is the king who wants to be with his repentant people. Look down at verse 14. As Jesus entered the water, John tried to deter Jesus in the river, saying, I need to be baptised by you. And do you come to me? Well, John's right in many ways, isn't he? He says, I'm the sinner here, not you, Jesus. 
you're sinless. It should be the other way around. And then verse 15, we see how Jesus responds. Let it be so for now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. There's our word, righteousness. In the New Living Translation version, it says, Jesus says, it should be done, for we must do what God requires. We see that Jesus was humbly following his father's plans for him. In Jesus, we see the righteousness of God being fulfilled. When we come across God's righteousness in the Bible, we are thinking about God's perfect reign as God and judge over his creation. God is the highest standard in what is right. His righteousness is his goodness, his holiness, all of his actions and what pleases him. God's nature expresses his unique moral perfection and his readiness to save sinners like us. This righteousness will be established through Jesus in the river on that day. So everything that happens on that day was not an accident. This was part of God's master plan, a plan that existed before the creation of the world. And in this momentous moment is one that history, the whole of history, has been waiting for. Now Jesus could have decided, well I'm not going to go down to the river that day, actually I've got other plans. I'm not going to head down to the river. And how often do we uh, do things that God doesn't want us to do? Or we try and shortcut around our responsibilities. And we don't see that with Jesus. We see absolute humble obedience to his father's will. So Jesus is the humble king. And my second point is the anointed king. Um, Emily, if you change the slides, there you go. The anointed king. So to help us understand what the significance of Jesus' baptism meant, God amazingly shows us, or gives us, three stamps of approval on Jesus in the next few verses. Look at verse 16 to 17. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him... I am well pleased. I'll say that slowly. Well pleased. So, what do these signs mean? What do these seals mean over Jesus? Well, let's go through them. Stamp or seal number one. The heavens opened above Jesus. Now, you might think, well, okay. I can accept that as a believer here this morning. The sky opened. But there's huge significance in that alone. We remember, uh, Tim said to us last week, that Matthew's Gospel is full of prophecy from the Old Testament. So back in Genesis chapter 1, we read that God created the heavens and the earth. Heaven was the place that God lived, and it was distinctly separated from the earth. So the way I imagine that, earth down below, heaven above. And heaven is the dwelling place of God. And then if we fast forward to the book of Revelation, chapter 4, we read that the entrance to heaven actually has a door, however interpret that, and only God can open that door. And at Jesus' baptism, God is opening the door. The original uh, translation for open is tore. So God tore open the door, showing that God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, has come down now on Jesus. 
And you may remember when Jesus died on the cross, uh, the Jewish temple had a curtain, uh, a bit bigger than those curtains there, but a curtain that uh, prevented people from having uh, presence with God. And when Jesus died on the cross, we get the same word again. The curtain was torn in two as God opened up uh, the entrance into his presence. So the first sign of Jesus' baptism signalled that his life, ministry, and even death was a door being opened between humanity and God. God is tearing open uh, the barrier between us and him. Stamp number two. The next thing we see, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus. As God tore open the door to heaven, the Holy Spirit, which is God's Spirit, came down and entered into Jesus. The Bible says that when a person repents of their sins and puts their faith in Jesus, then they too can get this free gift of the Holy Spirit coming inside us. The same Spirit that entered Jesus can also be found in Genesis. In uh, chapter 1, verse 2 of Genesis, it says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That's amazing. The Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters before the world was created. Before God brought all the pieces of the world together. And now we see God's same Spirit in this passage, not only hovering over Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, but actually descending down into Jesus. Jesus is filled with the power of God. So the second sign of Jesus' baptism demonstrates that Jesus is special, he's significant, a prophet and messenger from God, unlike anything Israel had seen for centuries. There's a period in the Bible between the Old Testament and the New Testament, about 400 years, where God was silent. And this is the first time that God now speaks to his people again. Which leads us on to our third uh, stamp or seal of approval in this passage. God opened the door to heaven. He sent his spirit into Jesus. And then God's voice was audible and instantly recognisable. God's voice testified that God himself had broken the silence, revealing himself to men. And in that moment, a prophecy from Isaiah was fulfilled. Isaiah 42.1 says this, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Here is my servant Jesus whom I uphold, says God. He is my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to all the nations. God is fully satisfied and fully pleased with Jesus. Even before Jesus has begun his ministry, God says, he is my son, I love him, I'm pleased with him, my joy is complete in Jesus. So these three seals endorse Jesus as God's son. And it's amazing, again, to say that the Trinity is involved in this event. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God the Father are all involved in this baptism. So Jesus is more than a prophet. He's a long-awaited doorway to heaven. Jesus is the Son of God in the line of King David. He is the promised one of old. Jesus is the King who is anointed by God. As I'm speaking, I'm thinking about different illustrations of... Uh, I'm just going to go for it. You know, uh, the Lion King? I don't know if you've seen the Lion King. But at the beginning of the Lion King, they lift little Simba up. He's the one. He's the future king. 
then I'm thinking about the Matrix, if you've seen the Matrix. Neo is the one. He is the one who fulfills everything people have been waiting for. And those are just movies. And yet we have the real thing here. We have Jesus, the one who all prophecy is fulfilled in. The one that history has been waiting for. So on that day in the River Jordan, Jesus knew that his baptism wasn't a baptism of repentance, like John was expecting, nor was it a Christian baptism, as ours is today. But Jesus acted in humility and obedience to his Father God. Jesus is the fulfilment of all righteousness. Jesus is the exact representation of God on earth. Jesus is our humble king. He is our anointed king. Jesus' baptism was a signal, a sign to the whole world that his ministry had begun. We've seen the stages of uh, Jesus growing up as we've come through Matthew's gospel. And this is the moment to signal the beginning of his ministry. The righteousness of God had arrived. Amazing. So what happens to John? Well, after the baptism of Jesus, well, the baptism of Jesus was the climax of John the Baptist's ministry. After this, we will see that John's role decreases as Jesus' role increases. So now I want you to cast your minds back to the words in my favourite, The Best Carol, Hark the, angel, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Um, Emily, if you could just go back to the first slide, please. We can remember and recognise who Jesus really is. Now, I understand that you might not go away from here singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing every day, uh, like me, but I want you to remember these words. Jesus is our Prince of Peace. He is the Son of Righteousness, the one who brings light and life to everything. He brings healing for our sins and our souls. And although rich in glory, he chose to become poor so he could relate to ordinary people just like us. He came so we could have eternal life. He was born to raise people up on earth, to give us a second birth, to be born again with God's spirit at work in our lives. This uh, hymn was composed in 1737, which sounds like a long time ago, but really wasn't compared to the history of the world. But in the old version, these verses were added to the end of the section. Adam's likeness now a face, stamp thy image in its place. Second Adam from above, work it in us by thy love. I love those verses. So let's marvel and enjoy Jesus each day, for he is our perfect righteousness. He came to achieve what we could not, and his baptism in this passage is proof for us. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you so much that you've revealed in this passage to us that Jesus is the son of righteousness. He is the fulfillment of righteousness. We thank you, Lord, that you poured your spirit into Jesus and he's your representation on earth. We pray, Lord, uh, Lord, that you would help us to marvel at the wonders we have seen in this passage, Lord. Help us to reflect on this. Help it to fill our hearts with joy as we leave here today and we remember uh, who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We ask you in his precious name. Amen.